Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. All right, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Before we get rolling into this week's episode, uh, just a few little housekeeping things. Yeah, first, I guess, just I've been uh, this spring. I hope people are getting out on their bikes already. I know the weather in probably most of the world is getting pretty good. Um, here in Canada, in Ottawa Valley, it is now bikeable, you know, paved and gravel are bikeable. Trails, not so much yet. I haven't got my bike out yet. I have to change the rear cassette. And once I get that on by uh, hopefully Monday or so, I'll be having the bike on the road and I'll be getting some miles in. So that's the plan. I've been uh, maple syruping like crazy these past couple of weeks. I decided to uh, to give it a shot this year to go in with it and uh, just see how it goes. And it's been a real interesting experience. You know, it's a lot of work, believe it or not, sitting around watching a fire as it boils away syrup counts as work. But it's cool. In the end, I think I'll have made about 14 or 15 liters of syrup. So I should be totally good until June. No, <laughs> should be good for the year. Um, I might even like try to make some little bottles and stuff of maple syrup, you know, as like a, a an energy gel. Or I remember when I was in British Columbia, no, sorry. Yes, I was in British Columbia near 70 mile house on the way towards Yukon. And there was a French Canadian restaurant there. And just before I left that morning, he's like, do you want some of the maple syrup in your cuff, in your water? I was like, hell yeah. And a guy just dumped a shit ton of syrup into my bottles. And when I shook it up, man, it was like an all day electrolyte. So it was pretty awesome. And that's exactly how he sounded. So I'm just not making fun of his accent. And I'm allowed to. I'm 50% French Canadian. So that gives me every right to, to throw out the French accent. I think if it doesn't do let me know. Uh, don't cancel culture me, please. Uh, <laughs> what else? What else? Um, yeah, so maple syruping is done and it's time to start biking and losing that fat. That's the uh, the, the main goal for uh, the rest of April and May before bikepacking events season starts in June. Uh, what else? On the Bike Tour Adventures website, ooh, I've redesigned the website. Um, I was basically coming up for renewal for a theme and I wasn't crazy about the theme. And so I decided to change to one that would kind of allow me to work on both websites and not pay extra for each one. But I had to do a whole ton of redesigning and I spent 30 or 40 hours last week working on that website, trying to get out things that weren't working, get things working again. You know, uh, I, I decided to add a newsletter button. This is something I've been thinking about for a while so people can subscribe to newsletter and I'm going to try to commit 
to releasing a newsletter every month, just kind of laying out what's new with the podcast, who's coming up, kind of uh, mention and talk about blog articles that are coming out in there. And, and also it'll be kind of a two in one with bike pack adventures and bike tour adventures. So do sign up for the newsletter. It is a live button. Now you can sign up at bike adventures.com. Also the shop, uh, has merchandise. You can buy t-shirts, hoodies, zip ups, caps, I'm going to be adding patches and stickers soon. I just haven't done it yet. I mean, they're all sitting here. It's just, man, maple syruping takes a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I'd like to thank the newest Patreon supporters of the podcast. I really couldn't do it without you guys. You know, every dollar really does help. And uh, from all the different renewal fees and, you know, sometimes plugins that make things better, um, now I'm at the point where I need to figure out how to, to speed up the website a bit because I have got a couple emails about it being a little bit slow. And, uh, you know, it's just takes work, time and work. So I'm working on that. But on that note, I'd like to thank Chris Jeffrey and Brian Karbowski. Now he might pronounce this Karbowski or Karbowski. So I'm not sure because it just depends where in the world he is, you know, and how Westerners say it. So probably Karbowski would be the, the North American way to say it. Anyways, Brian, thank you for signing up. And for anybody else, for just, you know, a few bucks a month, I've mentioned before, it's like the cost of a coffee or a sandwich or a beer. You really do help the podcast a lot. You help me keep things going. I mean, I'm trying to upgrade some equipment at the moment, and I think I'll have the money for it by like the end of the year. So it'd be really great if I could do that earlier, particularly like around September and stuff. I'm planning to travel a bit this summer. So the, the setup I have right now will have to do, but come September, I'll be sitting here at home and I think it'll be, uh, the way to go. So yeah, you can do that at patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. Yeah, the Bike Pack Adventures website, a um, couple things with it. Uh, it has been redesigned as, redesigned as well. There's still a few little glitches and things I have to work out and iron out some wrinkles and all that stuff. But the grand part is still on there and it is still leaving on July 3rd from Chelsea, Quebec. If you've never been to Chelsea, you definitely want to come like a day earlier and just get out and enjoy some of the trails in the Gatineau Park. But don't worry, you will have lots of chance to ride them on my route because it goes through the Gatineau Park at some point, I think towards the end. Yeah, and the Canadian Shield has three different distances. So 400 kilometers, 1,000 kilometers, and 1,300 kilometers. And uh, for details, just go to the website, bikepackadventures.ca. I've actually also created a new events page to kind of showcase different bikepacking grand departs happening throughout Canada. And I've uh, organized it by month. So you can see like in June, there's the BT 700 and the BC Epic. In July, there's the Canadian Shield bikepacking route and Lost Elephant in BC. And then in August, you have the Log Drivers Waltz and the AR 700, which is really cool because that basically says June, July, August, there are an event every month in the East here. And then there's an event every month in the West, which is cool. Obviously, needless to say, the grand depart for the Tour Divide is also in June. Starts from Banff. I think it's still Banff, right? Um, so yeah, there's that too. But I haven't added it to the website because I mean, very little of it is actually in Canada compared to America, USA, I should say. Yeah, so you can check that out. And then I just want to, before we roll into it, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. Um the corporate sponsors, I mean, the companies that help support the podcast, uh, seeing value in what I'm doing and, and, you know, just as a thank you, giving me, you know, some 
discounts here and there. So that is Redshift Sports, Restrap, Chiru Endurance Bikes, Brockton Cyclery, Seven Mesh Clothing, and Race Day Fuel. So thank you to all these companies, and uh, I really do appreciate it. And uh, on that note, let's uh, roll into this show. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring. You'll get insight into various cultures and countries around the world. They'll share fantastic stories of their journey and through mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring and considering going on a tour, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already a bike tourer, I hope my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show. I first had the pleasure of interviewing Victor in episode 39 of the podcast. Victor had been on a bike tour to follow in the footsteps of the famed philologist and orientalist Alexander Soma Dekoros, I think that's how you say it, author of the first Tibetan English dictionary and grammar book. I think it was 200 years after he first did this voyage. Uh, Victor chose to use a bike to follow the route that Soma walked, taking him through places such as Turkey, Kurdistan, Iran, Tajikistan into the famed Pamir Highway, across the border into the Wakhan Corridor, Pakistan, and finally into India, where he finished his trip at the place where Soma is buried in Darjeeling. Now, having finished his expedition, written a book, Victor has been on the move again, embarking on some pretty awesome cycling adventures. Victor, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Oh yeah, thank you very much, and welcome for everyone again. So I think last time we talked, <laughs> you had just got out of jail, um, prison um, <laughs> in Pakistan, <laughs> and then you obviously were deported into India, I presume? Well, I wanted to avoid the deporting because one can deport someone's citizens only to the mother country. Oh. So that means that if I was deported, I would have ended up in Hungary, back in Hungary. So I got an exit permit from Pakistan to India. And uh, I could enter India at the borderline where they arrested me. Oh, I see. Amazing. All right. So uh, I guess that's a, that was like very key is that you don't get deported, but you just, you know, you spent your time in jail. The lawyers did their things. And then oh, definitely. And then you, you got an exit visa or stamp. Definitely. Right? That, that was a huge work done by the lawyers. There were about three or four lawyers working on this case. And they... They cleared everything. I don't have a criminal record, actually, in Pakistan. Wow, that's phenomenal. And <laughs> it wasn't cheap, right? No, it wasn't. Uh, totally, it was. I think it was a thousand bucks to get out of the jail and also extend a visa. Yeah. Well, that's not bad, actually. Like that. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. It was not calculated in uh, expeditions budget. So no. So your next expedition, your, your next yeah. expedition, you have budgeted prison time, right? <laughs> well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to calculate that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you were, you finished up in Darjeeling. You got sick in India, right? So you were you were sick for a little while, or no? I was not sick. Well, I became mentally sick mm. because I was uh, I was admitted in a hospital and I was forced stopped in a hospital for eight weeks, and that was kind of nerve wracking. You know, first day it only told me that I only have to 
do a PCR test. And after that, right after that, I can just continue my trip and finish endogening. And uh, the first evening, they asked me, no, I, I asked the nurses, okay, where is the test? When, when will I have the test? And they didn't understand what kind of test do I want. And I just told them that I want a uh, COVID test. And they said, oh, okay, COVID test. There's no COVID test in the town. There's no any COVID test in the entire town. So I have to wait for a while. Holy. And finally, I had to wait 48 hours to get tested. And then I waited about five weeks for the result. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's what yeah. it was. I couldn't remember why you were in a hospital, but yeah, it was because of the, the yeah. pandemic and they just didn't want to let you leave until you had that paper, right? Yeah, sure. Mental. And they didn't leave me. They didn't leave me when I got the paper. They said India is still closed and uh, no one can go outside. Everyone is in quarantine. That was bullshit. Everyone was outside yeah. because people were moving in the street and everyone was, everyone was roaming everywhere. And there was no such a lockdown like in Europe. Mm. Well, theoretically, there was a lockdown, but in, in practice, practice yeah. there was total, this total opposite. I, I remember seeing videos of you posting, uh, like just trying to keep busy climbing from one side of your bed under the bed and onto the other side yeah. without ever touching ground. So just practicing your, your like developing yeah. your strengths and yeah, must be yeah, developing so for sports climbing and also. One hand pull-ups and lots of pull-ups I did in the in the ward. Yeah, there's no there was nothing else I could do. <laughs> training and doing some uh, blog-related things, so mm-hmm. writing my diary and uploading pictures. Yeah, and um, so you finished in Darjeeling, and uh, what was it like to finish this? You know, adventure full of unknown. Uh, you know, events you couldn't plan for, like prison and Indian hospital extended stays what was it like to finally finally finish the final one was uh, incognito mode because uh, they didn't let me in Uh you know um, India is divided into states different states I was in Bihar state I was in the hospital in Bihar and the last state I had to enter was West Bengal and when I arrived at the borderline of West Bengal the police officers they said that okay, I have to stop, and they're asking for my permits to enter West Bengal, and they just, you know, I replied them that, okay, I don't need any permissions because all India is open. And then they said, it's no, no, it's not open. West Bengal is not open. It's still closed for tourists. So I cannot enter because I'm a tourist. And all the Indians, everyone can pass the borderline. So everyone can go through state state lines, state border lines. So finally I ended up in a little church uh, in next to the borderline. And uh, the priest told me that, okay, um, he can host me for a while. And I found out that I need to get some Indian disgrace. So I, I got my uh, kurta clothes on. I also had a scarf and, uh, you know, this the scarf on the head, the yeah. big boot on the head. Yeah. And that's why I wore the, wore the mask. Only your eyes uh, were seeing. <laughs> yeah. Only my eyes. What about the so, bike? I also rented an Indian bike from the priest. He let me uh, take his bike for a little money. And uh, I drove my bike through the borderline without stopping. The border officers, they said that I'm an Indian guy. 
<laughs> yeah. So there was about 55 kilometers bike ride um, that day. And next day, I had to finish to go to Darjeeling by foot. Because this one was a single speed bicycle. And I couldn't really ride it up hills. And theoretically, well, uh, actually, Darjeeling is um, 2,000 meters above sea level. So that means about 6,000 feet, as far as I know. Six or 7,000 feet. Yeah, six or 7,000 feet uh, above sea level. So I had to walk up there. And that, that section was also in, in incognito. So I, I ended up in, yeah, walking in rain entire day. It was pouring rain, and I didn't bring uh, any raincoats, rain jacket, or any umbrella or anything. And I only brought this one clothes, and I didn't even have sleeping bag or mattress. And I had to sleep once be- before reaching Darjeeling. And of course, I couldn't sleep in hotel or hostel or anything because everything was closed, mm-hmm. and I was in incognito. <laughs> Obviously, I. I could only mm-hmm. spend a night outside in nature, so I pitched up my tent in the forest, and uh, I was I was squatting all night. I couldn't lay down on my uh, on on the bottom of the tent because all my clothes were wet. The ground was very cold. I was about nineteen hundred meters above sea level, yeah. and uh, it was everything was cold, and I was uh, I was struggling all night. I couldn't really sleep, and the right next day I reached the tomb of Alexander Choma, this famous Hungarian philologist. So finally, I I just stepped in the graveyard, and, uh, and I was like, okay, it's only 10 meters more, and and I'm touching the, the tomb, and, and it's over, and it's done. And I didn't have thoughts in my head, and uh, it was absolutely, absolutely emptiness, you know? Yeah. It's, it was... The total emptiness in my head and I couldn't think about anything for for minutes long only that it's over it's done the mission is complete and after that I think about half hour later I started realizing that okay it was really super hard I <laughs> the expedition's time took about about twice as much as I planned wow I planned about seven months, and it was more than 11 months. So it was long, and it was uh, overwhelming, and it was a little bit a struggle at the end. And uh, I was thinking about Alexander Choma, because he traveled 200 years ago, and uh, he traveled mostly in this Greece. And I think it would have, it would be really hard for him it could have been really hard for Can you imagine, him huh? to complete this, this journey. And he, he didn't only travel, he also traveled, actually he traveled uh, mostly by foot, so it was much harder for him. Yeah, He didn't have too much money, he, he had barely no money. And also he, he didn't only travel, he also, he was the pioneer of the Tibetan language. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, the he had, he he had no means of communication. Like you, you could speak English yeah. to almost anybody in the region or into, you know, f- for a lot of the trip, people can understand for the most part yeah. English. And sure. he, he didn't even have that, you know, he was just um, like, well, I, I mean, at that time, a lot of those people wouldn't have spoke English. So 
you know, there wasn't even a language sure. to communicate with. That's right. And he spoke 13 languages when he died. Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. And comparing to my trip, I think his trip was much, much harder. And the work that he has done is incredible. Mm-hmm. I yeah, if he wouldn't have died, I would have called him and interviewed him instead. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you wrote a book. Sure about um, it. I wanted to get a copy out, at, and I will still one day. It's just um, at the time, I think it was, it had to be shipped from Europe, and it just wasn't feasible, like shipping fees and stuff. Um, so I have to sort that yeah. out with you. But um, figure it out. Maybe throw it in the mail for me, and I'll transfer you money. Yeah. Um, yes, currently, currently there is a book, uh, which is in Hungary, and then there is also a bilingual photo book um, about the expedition's photos mm. and bilingual subtitles. I haven't translated the book into English. Um, I think I will do it later, maybe after the Himalayan uh, expedition. Okay. So let's yeah. talk. Um, yeah, let's move on then. For those that don't know, you you ride a recumbent bike and um, you've used that a lot. You've even used it frequently uh, recently, right? Um, I think on yeah. your your do we call it an expedition or a bike tour up to Nordcap? Yeah, right. There was the winter bike tour to Nordcap. Uh, I planned the route from Hungary to the anonymous point of Europe, and it was about four thousand kilometers. And I, I started the trip with, with a recumbent bicycle. And yeah, of course, um, it was not a big deal. I mean, until Scandinavia, it was not a big deal. But when I en- entered Norway, uh, everything turned into real winter. There was pure winter around me. And it was cold as uh, zero Fahrenheit. And zero Fahrenheit. In nights under yeah. zero Fahrenheit, like okay. minus ten, minus minus, minus 10? ten Fahrenheit. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah. And I was mostly camping. Um, I think about eighty percent I was camping during this trip. Did you use uh, studded tires then? Once you got up to the north. Yes, I used those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, I, when I entered the bike shop, uh, I could only uh, find spiky tires. <laughs> there were no, there were no normal tires being sold in bike shops. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what kind of what kind of a uh, recumbent bike do you use again? I forget what brand it is. Oh yeah. I was uh, sponsored by Azub, which is oh, a, a Czech Republic, which is from Czech Republic and they make um, two wheelers and trikes as well. Mm-hmm. And I I got an Azub Max, which is a two wheeler and it's full suspension and it was really comfortable. Comparing to my last uh, recumbent, which was an M5 Boo Glide, uh, the front fork was a steady fork. It was not rigid. Yeah. Fork. Mm-hmm. Rigid, yeah. So um, comparing to that, it was much more uh, convenient, yeah. much more comfortable to ride this bike. Yeah. I remember reading has- about uh, recumbents, and they said, you know, because typically on the front wheel, typically you're running around a 20 inch wheel. Like having a yeah. suspension front fork is like a game changer, just for comfort. It is. Yeah, absolutely a game changer. But then if you get up to like the 26s or whatever, I guess it's not as necessary, but it's probably just for comfort. So what did you do with your old recumbent? Did you still have it or something happened to it? Yeah, sure. I have the recumbent. Oh, you do? It's still still working. Yeah. Oh, good. I'll come to Europe. We're going on a recumbent tour together. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. It's still in the plan. Next year, next, year. next year, I'm hoping to come next to Europe. Year. Next year. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. I'm here. Um, so I'm tell here us, next year. did you, 
before Nordcap, was there a trip to Africa? Am I am I confusing things? I'm absolutely. Yeah, right. there was right. You're totally right. There was a tour to Africa. Yeah, I had to fly to Kenya, and I went down to the sea coast into Mombasa, mm. um, and I started cycling from zero, like zero meters, uh-huh. and uh, my destination was the Kilimanjaro, the top of Africa. Nice. So what? And what's the height of that? That's five something, right? Yeah, it's in meters. It's like um, five thousand. 895 okay yeah awesome yeah. amazing yeah so that was um that was the trip so i i wanted to do it also on this trip without any motorized transportation so solely by bicycle sweet yeah <laughs> my <laughs> yeah i met the marketing manager of azub and he said that i'm the every fucking inch person so I'm riding every fucking inch by bicycle. Yeah, I, I can't accept riding a car or bus or a train when I'm doing a, a trip or an expedition. That's totally right. I I just have to ride. I feel like I have to ride a bicycle solely, and that's that's the purest thing I can imagine. But you didn't use a a recumbent for this trip, right? I think no, you had a it traditional was a bike. bike. Yeah, it was a traditional bike. It was the bicycle that i was building for years i've been building this bike for i think at least eight seven or eight years long when i was a kid i i got a really nice but basic mountain bike and Mm -hmm. i started to change every part you know and uh finally i got a mountain bike a 26 inch mountain bike which was a pretty decent mountain bike actually right it was really light and and uh very 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 solid. So uh, finally, I climbed the, bi- the Kilimanjaro with this bicycle, and I met my tour guide in Moshi, under the foothills of Kilimanjaro. And you know, in Kilimanjaro, it's absolutely uh, prohibited to to move without a guide and porters and the cook. That's the funny thing that oh yeah, it's obligatory. It's obligatory to have a cook as well. That's hilarious. So you must you must have a team around yourself to to climb up to Kilimanjaro. How long and, does it take? Uh, it takes well, generally it takes four or five days to to go up, and but for us it took I think three and a half days to to get to the top and down. Okay, that's up yeah. and down. Okay. Yeah, riding down was like half day. Yeah, you you <laughs> rode down. Did you just ditch everybody and just like I'll see you guys at the bottom? Or <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I was together with a bike guide, so there was another cyclist uh, with me, a local guy. He was super cool. He was he's called Side. Mm-hmm. He's already got his own bike shop and uh, oh. bike guiding uh, company in uh, Moshi, uh, Bike to Kili. That's uh, his company's name. Okay. He's <laughs> super cool. I, I love this guy. You know, we, we really aligned with each other. And uh, when we met, we started riding from the gate. We were like brothers and talking all the time. We were talking two hours long without interruption. And we realized that we, are, we made uh, about 2,000 feet elevation gain. Oh shit! No, okay, it was it was it was almost three thousand feet that we made without interruption. Okay, <laughs> it was crazy. 
I think um, it was about 2,500 feet, and I ended up uh, on uh, 14,000 feet. Okay. I'm better in meters because I'm Canadian. Americans use feet. I don't even know. Like, um, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadians, are, we're, we're modern, you know, we're modernized. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We use okay. feet though. We use that. feet when we talk about like our own height. So I would say yeah. I'm five foot ten and a half. But if we talk about the heights of a mountain, um, my, somebody, yeah. my father's generation would still use feet, but I, I use meters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Okay, me too. Well, okay. in Europe, everyone uses meters. I know, so. you guys. <laughs> I just tried to cover it into American thing, but yeah, let's talk in meters. So I started from um, 750 meters from Moshi. Okay. That's the town. I had my accommodation there, and that was 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, when we finished at sunset, we we finished at three, yeah, 3,700 meters. Oh, Wow. Okay. So 2000 yeah, meters uh, that about, day. About 3000 meters elevation gain that day. Shit. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. That's like 10,000 feet for any American listeners. That's massive. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was about 12 hours ride and uh, it was really overwhelming. I was also a real, little bit sick. My stomach was not perfect. And was your guide able to keep up with you or were you barely, was it you trying to keep up with the guide? Who was stronger? Well, he was strong. He was yeah. really strong. Yeah. He, he could do it easily. Amazing. Next day, we had an acclimatization trip to 4,100 meters and uh, it was a chill day. We didn't do too many, too many things, just ate a lot. All these um, guys, the cook, the, he made a sheet lot of food. I can't imagine then how how he cooked so much and um yeah i was i was eating um a lot the, my guide said you have to eat you have to eat <laughs> you must do it yeah you, you know in africa african culture is like they they prefer eating they say that if you want to avoid sickness then you eat mm. if you if you want to be healthy then you just eat yeah so it was the kind of rest day with the climatization, and next day we we went to the highest camp, the Kibo Hut, and that's at 4,700 meters. Uh, it was easy to reach. The path was perfect. It was it was a solid path. It was a wide. Um, it was a mud road. It was a perfect mud road, and um, we rode it up. I think three hours was really easy. Mm. Uh, we ended up there in the camp. I asked my my bike guide side to continue up to forty nine hundred, and um, yeah, he joined. So we went up there, acclimatized a little bit more, uh, stayed there for an hour, and then just arrived back to the hike camp, and then. And during the evening, my guys came and he said, Hey, Victor, we have to talk about something serious. I said, okay, what the heck? <laughs> What's wrong? What hey, did I do? <laughs> guys, what did I do? Sorry, what, what did I do? And they said, that, okay, Victor, you should not carry your bicycle up to the top. We really want to, to convince you that you should leave your bike here or there should be something uh, else, but 
you shouldn't bring the bike up to the top. And I was like, hey, I, I, I'm going to the top um, not because of the summits. They didn't understand me. I told them that, okay, next year I'm preparing for Himalayas and uh, I'm going to do this thing, that, this bike shouldering about 30 times um, during that expedition. Mm -hmm. So I really have to test myself. I, I have to see how I can manage climbing up on a 5,000 plus meter high peak with the bike on my back. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, so if it's just a test for you, don't you want to reach the summit? I said, no, I don't want the summit. I, I just want to know if I can, if I can do this, if I am able to climb up on this, uh, on the side of the mountain. And finally we agreed and yeah, we started midnight. We were really happy. They were singing songs, <laughs> Swahili songs. I was singing Hungarian songs. And, um, yeah, it was nice to, to just climb up hills. It was really slow. Everyone was slow because we had about six and a half hours climb towards the summit. Okay. And did your guide bring his bike too, or he walked, just left his bike behind? Yeah, this, yeah, my guide also brought his bike, but there was another guy, a porter, who who helped him sometimes. Okay. So they did it in, in change, okay. in relay, yeah. if I'm right. Taking turns, yeah. Yeah, they took turns. So when it was about four o'clock, I asked my guide, hey, where's Gilman's Point? We should be reaching it soon. And he said, hey, it's really far from here. It's about two hours from here. I told him it's impossible. Gilman's Point, it's, it's at... Um, 5,600 feet. Uh, meters. Sorry. It's at 5,600 meters. So <laughs> we should be reaching very soon. And he said, no, no, no. It's like at least two hours. And I didn't believe him. I have to, I have to check my map. I had a, a map on my, on my mobile and I checked how tall, how high we are. Okay. And the elevation was 5,500 meters. So. It was only 100 meters to the Guillemets point. So <laughs> we reached it in half hour. It was really <laughs> quick. Yeah. So I was at a really deep point when he said it's two hours more because I was too much, too tired. Okay. I was absolutely exhausted. And it was too deep, too deep uh, ash that we were, we were um, trotting in. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were uh, stepping in. And we were always slipping back because of this ash. So it was really hard okay. at that point. But when I saw that elevation data, I, I knew that we can make it. I knew that we can, we can do this. And we, we got to the Gilman's point. We didn't stop for too much, for too much time. We continued to Stella point, which is really close to the summit. And there I was, uh, I was frozen. <laughs> oh, yeah? I didn't have enough clothes, I think. It was a really strong wind, and uh, my hands were frozen, absolutely frozen. And I asked my guide, hey, side, what do you do if, if your hands are frozen? I mean, I'm a mountaineer, and okay, we can do swing, swing the, our arms, but it doesn't really help now. 
swinging my arms. And he said, hey, dude, just put your hands between your legs and balls. Yeah, man, right under your balls. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> right next to your balls. <laughs> Yep. and yeah that, that really helped me so <laughs> uh, we were standing like that in that position in at least two or three minutes and yeah. people were passing by laughing and, just no no yeah. sharing food or shaking hands after <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then we arrived to the summit in, in i think in 30 30 40 minutes and it was sunrise what was it like to ride down though it must have been insane the ride down you know, it was the ride of my life. Yeah. It was, it was insane. A real packed with adrenaline. It was a perfect ride from, from the top to Stella Point. From Stella Point, uh, mostly it's pushing. And even, even through the Guillermo's Point, there is a little bit scrambling part where you can't even walk on your feet. You have to hold your... Yeah, you have to get some holes in the rocks. So oh, okay. There's a couple of hundred meters that you have to make it like that. Because I watched uh, your video, I watched that. your video, and I thought, man, that's got to be like, it, it's gnarly. I know I could see it's not too too steep, but steep enough that you had to really apply the brakes sometimes and slow yourself right down because yeah. you don't want to get going too too fast. And it's got to be hard, oh, yeah, hard yeah. on the shoulders and the the grip, huh? Although you have yeah, probably pretty good grip <laughs> as a climber. Sure. Sure, but after after the scrambling, I could start riding. It was really, really high inclination. I think it was at least thirty five degrees. Oh I yeah, know. Oh, okay. it was really, really uh, steep. But the ash was, um, you know, very soft, and I didn't have to use the brakes too much because okay. the the ash was also blocking a little bit, so I didn't accelerate too much. But it was it was tricky. It was uh, it was a little bit hard to balance, but I could manage it. It was fun. It was really fun to reach Kibo Hut. And my my bike guide was not in a really good shape. He he couldn't even bring the bike up to the top. Uh, the porter brought it up, brought it up, and he couldn't ride downhill from the summit. Oh, it was too much for him. Huh? So he joined me riding from the Kibo Hut, and we shredded down together to to the bottom of the mountain. Mm. Has anybody br- uh, brought a bicycle to the summit prior to you? I, I don't even know the answer to this, so I'm just asking. Out of- <laughs> I don't know. I asked them. I asked my guide because he said that I am the seventh customer, the bicycle customer. I mean, how would you say? Customer? Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I am the seventh customer with a bicycle uh, to climb Kilimanjaro, and when oh. we reached the summit, I, I asked them, "Okay, why did you why did you want to come with me, not bring the bike? If there were six people before me carrying the bike up to the top, and my guide said, "Okay, no one else brought the bicycle up to the top." Oh, okay. It was always the porters who brought their bikes to the top. <laughs> it's always it's always like that. Yeah. I also met a I also met a Swiss uh, biker team. These these bikers from Switzerland they also carried they also bike to Kibohat, but from there it was their porters who brought the bikes up. Ah, yeah, for everyone. Interesting. So that's so that's the general thing. I don't know. Maybe there are some people who 
uh, resisted this persuading not to bring the bikes up. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I know. I, I'm similar to you. I don't think I could do it. I, I would just say, no, no, no. I like, I'm going to bring it myself. Like I'm, I didn't come all this way. And <laughs> if I'm all the way here with my bike, I'm carrying it myself, you know, like every fucking inch. Exactly. <laughs> Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to panoramacycles.com. Now back to the show. So, so when you reached back down at the, was it at the bottom of the Kilimanjaro or was it back in Kenya where you gave away the bike? Cause I think I saw in a video that uh, you, you gave it away to a nice little boy. Sure. Uh, it wasn't Tanzania. It was, but it was, um, 60 kilometers further in Arusha because okay. my guy lived my guy lived in Arusha and he invited me to his family and uh, we spent some time together. Uh, uh, we had a nice dinner and yeah, I had a long sleep after that. And when I woke up, I had Maurice uh, asking me, Maurice, my guide's uh, little boy, mm-hmm. he asked me, okay, Wixor, can I bring the bike for, for a couple of rides in the town? And I said, Sure, of course. You can bring it. I don't want to ride now. I rode a lot. Yeah. And he brought it for a couple of rides, and I saw him that he was really happy about, with that. And when, when it turned to uh, midday, we had a lunch together, and I saw Maurice that he has some ambivalent feelings in, on his face. Uh, I didn't really understand, so I asked him, hey, Maurice, how was the ride? He said, ah, it was really good. I really want a bike like that. Uh, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe once you will have such a bike. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was sad when he heard me saying that. Okay, and I absolutely, I really want to, to spread the... Um, the benefits of cycling yeah. around the world. And uh, I really want to move people into this sustainable way of transportation and traveling. Mm. And I really want to promote cycling. And that became my mission, actually. In the last, re- in the recent years, this one became my, my mission to promote cycling and other ways of sustainable transportation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to, give something to them. I, I got so many joy. So much, I got so much joy riding downhill from Kilimanjaro. That was a full day of joy. And I wanted to give joy to someone else as well. And this bicycle, I was thinking that I won't be missing this bicycle. 
I need a new bike. That was my attitude. I need a new bike. And this guy also needs a new bike because his uh, last bike is just too small. And he's, uh, he's raising up. He's, gr- he's growing up. So he needs a new bike. Yep. So finally, I decided to give him, to donate him the bicycle. And they were, they flipped out. He and his father, they absolutely flipped out. And <laughs> they were, they were shocked about this info. They didn't expect this, I'm mm. sure. Yeah, I saw he, he like ran up, hugged you, kissed you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. What, a, what a video I saw that. Um, it was amazing. All right. So let's, uh, let's jump back to Norway because that was your most recent one. And I think you got into a accident of some sort somewhere before Nordcap. Yeah. Yeah. It was only five days before reaching Nordcap. Um, the day was, the days were really clear. We had clear weather for, for like four days. And I saw the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was insane. Uh, but after that, um, there was a snowstorm coming and the roads were icy and this powder snow just reached the, yeah. Then this powder, powder snow was dumping on this layer of ice on the oh. roads. And when you, even if you have spiky tires, it doesn't really grip. If the snow falls on the ice, mm-hmm. it doesn't really grip. So I was, um, I was not uh, careful enough, I think. And I rode a little bit fast, and that's why I slipped off the road. I, I ended up sliding into a ditch with my, with my head upside down. And uh, there was a very thick pole in the bottom of the ditch, and that one stopped me by my neck. Mm. I reached, I reached the pole with my neck, so <laughs> I, I, I was afraid that maybe there's some fracture or there's mm-hmm. something, something serious in Jerry. So I immediately checked my feet and my, toe, yeah, my toes and my fingers, if they're moving, and also my arms. Everything was moving, so yeah, it was, it was okay. There was a car stopped immediately, and... They asked me if there's any problems, if they can help me. And yeah, they helped me with uh, bring the bicycle out from the ditch. So we pulled it together. We hold it up. And, um, and yeah, then I, I told them that they can, they can leave me alone. I can, I can do whatever. I can continue riding. There's no problems. They were, they were too much afraid. I think they said that. <laughs> Okay, um, don't you want to go to the hospital? I said, no, I'm okay. Um, I'm just a little bit shocked with the accident, but um, I can move everything, so it's, it will be okay. And finally, they said, okay, here's our number. If you have any problems, just call us. We, are, we will be around. We will okay. be very, very close here. And I saved the number. And just a couple of minutes later, when, he la- when they left, I lost power. I couldn't stand. I I couldn't stand on my feet. I was squatting. You know, it's it was it was like there is something wrong with me. I couldn't describe. I I couldn't understand myself. But there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't understand what's happening. That's when I called them. 
they collected me on my bike and they brought me to the nearest hospital. There was just a small dispensary and yeah, there was one doctor working uh, there and uh, she checked she checked me. She made some uh, uh, checks on my body and uh, she said I have to be transferred to another hospital to Tromsø. There must be no big problem, but yeah, I should be transferred and they must be they must be sure that I don't have any issues with my spinal cord. Okay. So I must get a CT and an MR scan. So they transferred me, but with, not with an ambulance. <laughs> they put me in a, t- in a cab. <laughs> oh, yeah? They said there's not enough ambulance cars around, so I must take a cab, and uh, I must take a, this two-hour cab ride with a neck which is not sure if it's not broken. yeah so I ended up in the hospital of Tromsø after two hours drive I have to pay the uh, 400 bucks no it was it was like 500 bucks for a taxi oh man okay Uh, yeah (laughs) Uh, and then I ended up in the hospital they made a CT scan they made an MR scan they said that yeah there are two vertebrae broken and my spinal cord is intact. It was just a little bit expanded, but it's just intact. And uh, I will have 100% recovery. Oh, shit. Yeah. And from Tromso, there's an airport, right? So I think you could fly right back to yeah, southern parts of the Yeah, I was flying from there, yeah. I plan to use trains and other, other transportation. Uh, I wanted to avoid flying, but yeah. This time I had to fly because that was the fast and the most safe way mm. to get back home. And I had to leave my bike there because um, I couldn't really lift anything with my hands. Yeah, the doctor said that I can't, li- I can't lift anything more than one kilogram. So so that's how I uh, left my bike there. And I had to, had to manage the transportation of the bike also back home. And I finished the trip before Christmas and I ended up uh, I arrived back home at Christmas night. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I spent the time. I spent the Christmas night together with my family. Bittersweet. So it it's, it's nice amazing. to be a family, but at the same time, you're like ah, the whole trip. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was good. Yeah, it's amazing. That's, I mean, you're fully recovered now, or I am. Yeah. Yes. Good to go. Um, so tell us about the Himalayan bike traverse. Now, this um, is massive. Definitely, again, the first of its kind and um, maybe slightly fucking insane. Um, tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> this idea came um, not, too, not too much after arriving back home from India. Okay. Yeah, it was in, it was in 2020. Uh, I think it was in September when I figured out that I have to make this Himalayan Travers. I must make this longitudinal crossing of the Himalayas and I started looking around who made this before there was an Australian couple who made it uh, by foot I think in one year or one and a half Okay, and they didn't make an entire traverse they finished in India northeast India in the river uh, valley of Brahmaputra but actually the, the anchor points of the Himalayas are the Nanga Parbat and the Namchabarwa. These are two 
really tall peaks. Oh, the Nagapaba is situated in uh, in uh, Pakistan, mm-hmm. and the Nagapaba is situated in uh, Tibet, in China. Oh, Nagapaba so is, is Pakistani. I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I was looking at maps, but sometimes you know, there's yeah. multiple places with the same name. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so these between these points uh, is the entirety of the Himalayas, and that's what I want to cover solely by bicycle and by foot. So this will be a world-first mountain biking and mountaineering challenge. And I am dedicating this trip absolutely for promoting uh, sustainable transportations and ecotourism. That's, that's my mission to build awareness about, about cycling, about sustainable transportation methods and energy consciousness and uh, ecotourism. That's amazing. Um, let me just, uh, sorry, I started looking on Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, and I mean, and, and Namcha Barwa is way, way, way east, um, kind of near, exactly. yeah, near the top of Myanmar, right? So is that in China proper? Right. It's properly in China, yeah. yeah. And so. what's the length of this, uh, This what's the distance that you're expecting that you're going to have to ride slash climb well it's 5000 kilometer plus and i think it's uh it will be around 2000 no <laughs> i think it will be around 20 uh no, no it's not 20 how much yeah yeah i think it will be around 200,000 meters elevation gain yeah uh, yeah fast map writes that it's about it's about 16, no, it's about 160,000 meter elevation gain, but well, it's, uh, I think it's way more mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the calculations of these maps. And my experience is about uh, what's the total compared to the, compared to what the map says. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it will take about six months altogether. When are you so. going to start then? Yeah. Soon, right? And, uh, I will. I will begin the trip in June. Okay. And yeah, this will this will be a really well organized trip. I mean, I'm gonna make a documentary about this trip. I will have two videographers. One of them is the ex photographer of Mountain Film Festival, Merrick Chase, and uh, the other one is one of my friends. They are excellent uh, outdoor people, oh, wow. uh, mountain bikers, and photographers, and uh, I have uh, I have the Hungarian National Geographic as a media partner, and I already got the bicycles for this uh, expedition from Koba, which which is a Swiss custom-made bicycle manufacturer. Okay, and they were and they were happy to sponsor the trip. So, well, that's a fact that I can do many things alone, but and during this expedition, well. Not even the preparations. I cannot do it alone. So I really need partners for this. Um, actually, if if anyone hearing this podcast knows just just a brand who who would get involved, I'm really happy to receive the name of that brand. Mm-hmm. Or, like in terms of yeah. brands for for gear and stuff, or or anything, uh, yeah, <laughs> anything for, and everything. For <laughs> well, for gear and finance, financials. Yeah. For both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Financials always well, the hardest one. The, yeah, making a documentary is not cheap. So, um, mm-hmm. but it will reach a lot of people. 
but it will reach a tons of people. I'm going to distribute this uh, documentary on either outside TV or Netflix or maybe HBO, but it will be globally distributed. Mm. So there will be a high reach with this um, with this documentary. So you did mention that uh, when you were talking about Africa, you said that there's going to be like 30 big climbs that you're uh, ish that you're going to have to do along yeah. this trip. What is uh, yes. Is that just when roads kind of run out and, you know, you have to go through the valley and over a pass <laughs> and then get to the nether road? Is that the idea or, or trails, not even roads? I, yeah. Well, I counted the mountain passes, which are over 5,000 meters. Okay. And there are tw- 29 of them. <laughs> and there is one mountain pass, which is over 6,000 meters that, will, that I will cross. So. And- and have you yeah. kind of pieced together the route to, to mostly encompass like trail networks as much as you can, or um, is it roads that you're kind of following up like mountainous roads or what, what, what is the general biking route? Generally, these are trails. Um, do you know about the Great Himalayan Trail in Nepal? Mm, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a, this is a trail network and these are used by the Sherpas, the local people, um, they reach their villages through these trails. There is no, yeah, pe- vehicles cannot pass these uh, okay. these uh, trails. So these are only one lane things. Um, this will be, I think, at least 7%, 70%. Um, and the rest will be mud roads and also a little bit of pain, paved roads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Under 5%, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, what do you foresee as some of the biggest challenges the biggest challenge is china to enter china uh well there's possibilities there are possibilities and uh, as we saw from the 14 peaks and the the, the documentary on netflix that everything is possible mm-hmm. even regarding china i think yeah have you seen that documentary i don't think i've seen it I've, uh, yeah, the guy the guy climbed fourteen eight thousand peaks mm. in uh, seven months, and uh, yeah, his last peak was in China, and he didn't get the permission for that peak. He tried it in several ways uh, through politics and di- by diplomats, and uh, finally he he made it from upside down with people with civilians. Okay. Thousands of civilians rose to China, the the proper authority, authority of China, and they convinced this authority to to give him permission to make oh, it. Okay, so people yeah. power. <laughs> yeah, people power upside down. That's how it works. Well, uh, I'm really trying hard through political ways, and I'm consulting with a lot of diplomats currently. Yeah, uh, to to make it to make it happen into China. I don't want to make an interruption. I don't want to make an interruption mm-hmm. because if I'm riding all the way, okay, I can make it that I'm riding till the border, uh, get off the bike, go back to a city in India, take an airplane to uh, China, uh, arrive at the airport, go back to the same borderline on the other side yeah, and resume. Yeah. I can do it. Well, I, I can, I can easily do it, but, Going through that bond pass, well, that needs special permits. So that's what, that's what I'm working on right now. Ah, all right. Good luck on that. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. what else was I going to ask? Um, funding. So have you found some partners yet at all? Or is that something that's 
still missing. Yeah, there are partners, there are partners who who want to get involved. Uh, but yeah, as you said, it's it's always hard to get financial partners. So 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 far, I'm uh, I'm at more than fifty percent of the funding. But yeah, I still need the partners and sponsors. All right. So if anybody out there is listening and has some good connections, uh, Victor's got a, a pretty amazing um, adventure slash expedition. I don't even know what you want to call it, um, which is going to happen. So maybe you guys can reach yeah. out. The major cost is the documentary and that will cost at least uh, uh, 30,000 bucks. That much. And yeah. Uh, so the the bicycles costed a lot but yeah that thing is ticked <laughs> yeah so i guess like for when you look at the costing it's like the the costs that go into finishing the expedition and then you have the costs that come up after the expedition which are also significant yeah. and can yeah and make it like a yeah. whole second adventure <laughs> absolutely that's right so for realizing the expedition i I still need some, but I'm really close to to the uh, to the goal. Anything else? What else can we talk about? Um, yeah, tell us some more. Was there anything else we should know about this uh, this trip? And oh uh, yeah, uh, well, following the trip is um, is possible by my social media, mm-hmm. which is my YouTube channel ZICHO, like my surname. And I get my Instagram and also Facebook page with ziho.ag. Um, I will also upload uh, photos and videos uh, on these platforms as well. And I'm also um, about to make a book about this, write a book about this expedition. But that one will be uh, in two languages, in English and Hungarian. Okay. From, from the beginning. So I, I really want to make it in both languages. And uh, yeah, so I, I got to apologize because I think at the start of the podcast, I, I said it again. I, oh, I know I didn't actually say your last name on purpose, but it's not Zicho. It's Ziho, right? Ziho, right, right. Yeah, because in, in like English mind, there's a CH. It's got to be a Ch, but it's not. <laughs> no worries. No worries. No one can pronounce it. Not even in Hungary. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> and yeah. Um, so, yeah, people can find you there. And um, yeah, I guess I, I don't have any more questions. Thanks for for reaching out and yeah. uh, recording this uh, yeah. update. Yeah, thanks for the podcast. All right. It was awesome. <laughs> On that note, yeah. I'll, uh, you don't have to hang up, but we'll say goodbye and uh, keep on pedaling. Thank you very much. Talk soon. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.